Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, you are a mighty, wise God and a mighty, powerful God. And tonight, Lord... As we've just been momentarily here, just thinking about the wisdom that you put in the bee and the, and the pollination method that you devised. And now, Lord, we come to the method that you devised to save us from our sins by the blood of your precious Son. Help us, Lord, to see, to appreciate, to worship. In Jesus, amen. If you turn again into your Bibles to Genesis, that's it. Exodus 24, Exodus 24. Exodus 24, they're all wonderful, but Exodus is where we are right now, Exodus 24. Exodus 24, 6, just to remind us of what happened. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Jumping down to verse 8, verse 8, 24, 8. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now, if you go to the last book in the Bible now, to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Revelation 7, verse 13, thinking about the blood that uh, Moses said, behold the blood. Revelation seven thirteen. John is in, has this vision, the revelation. He writes, Revelation 7, 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall any neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them into living waters, fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So I've tied these two together here because since that day, when Moses stood over the people of the, uh, the people of Israel at that time, and he took the blood of the sacrifices, he sprinkles part of it on the altar that was before the Lord, and then with that same blood, he sprinkles the people, and he says, "Behold the blood of the covenant." And ever since then, man has been focused on what is that blood? What is that blood symbolizing? What is that blood saying? And it was not until that. Passover dinner that we celebrated last night. That, that Passover dinner, 
that, that for us was 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, when all the symbolism crystallized and it all came together, when the Lord Jesus Christ held up that Passover cup at the Last Supper and said in Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And when he did that at that meal, the Lord Jesus presenting the wine as the symbol of his blood shed for them, his blood would be presented to God to accomplish great things for them. And the first part of what Moses did was when what we understood was that Moses went and sprinkled the blood first on the altar, that was before the Lord, and then he, then the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see, was presented before God, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished great things before God for us. But not only did Moses sprinkle the blood on the altar, Moses then went and he sprinkled the blood on the people, and that showed the blood did not automatically benefit the people. The blood had to be applied to the people. And, and now just imagine if there was someone in that group, someone would just imagine it in that group on that day who might have said, you know, I, I mean, I came as a spectator. I was just curious what's going on here. I just want to observe what's, what Moses is going to do here. This is so unusual. I just want to see. There's no way I'm going to allow that blood to be sprinkled on me. No. If a person said that, if he said, I don't want to have that blood splashed on me, I'm going to run away. I'm going to shield myself when that blood comes flying through the air. I don't want it on me. And if that person ran away or shielded himself from having the blood fall on him, then the blood would have no benefit for him individually. And each person had a choice to stand and be sprinkled by the blood or to run and shield himself from being sprinkled by the blood that Moses had. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ did not force anyone to drink that wine. He invited them, invited them to, he passed the cup to them, he urged them to, when, it says that, when he says there that in Matthew 26, 27, 26, 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. That was an invitation for everyone to drink the cup. But if there was a person that says, no, I'm not gonna drink that cup. No, because I really don't want anything to do with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would, would accomplish zero, nothing for that person. I mean, look at Judas's, or on the other hand, at that temple, at that temple, and look at, the, at, that, at that ceremony, at that Passover, look at Judas Iscariot at, at that meal. He drank from the cup, he did. He drank from the cup outwardly. But he wanted nothing to do with the blood of the Lord. And as a matter of fact, he had already decided to destroy the Lord so it's just like so many people in churches today who outwardly, they look like they've received the Lord Jesus Christ. They're doing all the things that you're supposed to do when you go to church, but inwardly, secretly, they, have, they want nothing to do with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the person in Moses' day who wholeheartedly allowed himself to be sprinkled with the blood and said, yes, I want, to be, I want the benefits of that blood, for the person who has truly received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, when the Lord said, this is, my blood is shed for you, he was referring to great things that his blood would accomplish for believers. And that's been the focus of our studies here as we've been looking through this series on Behold the Blood, to see 
what did the blood of the Lord Jesus actually accomplish? And so far, we've seen that what the blood has accomplished for us is remission or removing of our sins from our record. From Hebrews 9.22, Hebrews 9.22, without just shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no removal. We've seen that his blood accomplished for us redemption. Redemption, we saw that, redeeming us. From 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We've seen that his blood accomplished for us the covering, the great covering, or as the Bible calls it, the atoning. That's what covering means, the atoning for our sins from Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make a covering, to make an atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes an atonement, a covering for the soul. We've seen that his blood has accomplished for us the reconciling, the reconciliation between us and God, bringing us near to God, bringing us near to God. I love that last hymn. I don't know if you caught that when he says, oh, worship the king, and then it says, our redeemer and friend. Couldn't help but look at that on the monitor. Our God is our redeemer and friend, and right in the corner it said friendship with God. And so this is what his blood has accomplished in Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometime far off are now made near, now made nigh, now made near by the blood of Christ. His blood accomplished for us a cleansing, an inward cleansing from the degradation that sin has brought in our lives. From 1 John 1.17, 1 John 1.17, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins, from all sin. His blood accomplished for us peace, at last, peace with God. Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross to him, by him to reconcile all things to himself. And then finally we saw also that his blood accomplished for us justification, justified us before God. Romans 5.9, Romans 5.9, much more than being now justified by his blood, justified by his blood. Now, if you notice, in all these things that I've been describing here, I've been talking about what his blood has accomplished, 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 accomplished. These are all accomplishments of his blood, of the blood of the Lord Jesus for us. And I've purposely <coughs> been using that word accomplished to describe what the Lord Jesus what his blood achieved for us, if you like, achieved, achieved. Because when the Lord Jesus cried out his last words, it is finished, or as it is in the Greek, detelestai, but actually, newsflash, he wasn't speaking Greek on the cross. In fact, he was speaking Hebrew. And the last word that he would have said that is equivalent to this detelestai is asa, asa, which was the last word in Psalm 22, this is the great crucifixion psalm, ki asa, asa, asa means done, it means accomplished, so really what he said, when he said asa, he said done or accomplished, so whenever you think of the last words of the Lord Jesus, it is finished, I don't want you to think of it in the sense like it's finished, whew, I'm so glad that's over, oh man, tough exam, I don't want you to think of it that way, 
I want you to think of his last words when he said it is finished as meaning it is accomplished. It is done. It has been achieved. So really, in this series of Behold the Blood, we're studying what his last words meant when he said it is finished, it is accomplished, it is achieved. Because from it is finished, we are studying what his blood accomplished, what his blood achieved, and we're studying that. And so far, like I said, there have been these six great achievements, great accomplishments that are the blood of the Lord Jesus achieved, accomplished for us, and accomplished, as we said, remission, redemption, atonement, reconciliation, peace, and justification. It did all that for us. Now we turn our focus to another accomplishment, another achievement of the blood of the Lord Jesus from Revelation 7.14. Revelation 7.14 that we just read. Where? He says, I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. He said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. That's an achievement. That's an accomplishment <coughs> to make them white. <coughs> now, this is a very rare scene. It's a very rare scene in heaven. We are privileged to be able to see it now in the Bible. It's a scene of the Apostle John during the time of the revelation, what was revealed to him, what God permitted John to see that is, that is normally hidden from eyes. And in this scene, John sees himself in heaven, and there's so much that just amazes John. Wide-eyed, he's turning from one thing to the other, and one of the elders brings John now to focus on a very certain, very special group of people who are wearing white robes in verse 13, arrayed in white robes. So John looks at this stunning white, this, this scene of the, these, 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 these amazing white robes that they're wearing, and the elder then asks John two questions. The first question is, who are these? And, and, and uh, or as it says, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? The second question is, where they come from? Where do they come from? Or as it says, whence came they? So with that first question, who are these? There's, that's a loaded question. And John knows that. And so who are these? That's like, a, that's like, a, it's loaded with marvel. Well, I mean, what a marvelous sight this is to see, this large group of with these people with these magnificent white robes. Who are these is a question loaded with admiration. You know, so it's the idea of I admire, I envy those who are dressed in such beautiful white robes. Who are these is a question that's loaded with attention, like just look at those, those people in those remarkable white robes. This question of who is, who is this I mean, it's the same, uh, it's like in the Song of Solomon, uh, in the Song of Solomon, is, which is about the, the, the lover, and he says in Song of Solomon 3.6, by the way, Song of Solomon is, is all about, you know, falling in love and things like that. That's, that's why the, the initials of Song of Solomon are SOS. <laughs> anyway, okay, good, thanks. So, uh, <clears throat> all right. The Song of Solomon 3.6 has very similar wording. Song of Solomon 3.6. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powders of the merchant? Song of Solomon 
8, 5. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaping upon, leaping upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree there. Thy mother brought thee forth. This is the question that's asked to John. Who is this? Who is this? It means the same as turn your eyes over here. As what Isaiah uh, said about the Lord when, when in Isaiah 63.1, Isaiah 63.1, Isaiah said, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This is this is that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And so this question, who is this? It means the same as look over here. Like Jeremiah, who said in Jeremiah 46.7, Jeremiah 46.7, who is this? that cometh up as a flood whose waters are moved as the river. This is a, will you look at this? So what, now what's said here, that, that, that's the first question. Who is this? The second question is, where did they come from? Well, we find out, we know where they came from because four verses earlier, it just tells us where in Revelation 7, 9, Revelation 7, 9, and after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations, and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Well, who are these people? These are people that cannot be numbered because there's so many of them. And they come from all nations. They come from all people groups. They come from all languages. There's Germans there and Americans and Norwegians and Japanese and Eskimos and Indonesians, and Sudanese, and Peruvians, Australians, Indians, Navajos, Chinese, Russians, Jews. They're all there, and none of them is sitting down. They're all standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb of God. They're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, and they all have white robes. They all have white robes. They're not just standing there. They're singing. They're singing in Revelation 5, 9. It tells us they're singing They sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to the Lord Jesus. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. They're singing this song about the worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was killed, who was was redeemed them by his blood. And so we're told now in verse 14 that this great multitude of people They've come out of a great tribulation. Lord Jesus said, you, when you sign up with me, you're signing up for persecution. He said in Matthew 5.10, Matthew 5.10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He spoke of them being chased from one city of Israel into the other in Matthew 10.23, Matthew 10.23, when they persecute you in this city, flee, run, to the another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The Lord Jesus told us that they suffered great losses in this persecution. In Matthew 10, 29, Matthew 10, 29, Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left, here's the losses, house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake in the gospels, but you shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. These people lost their houses. 
they lost their brothers, they lost their sisters, they lost their mother, they lost their father, they lost their own wives and their children and their properties. And they were willing to do it because they said, it's worth it, I'll lose it all if I can gain Jesus. Just give me Jesus and it can have everything else, including wives and children. And for some who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes down to a choice of that. For some it does. It comes down for some to a choice, family or Jesus, that's the choice. It comes down to a choice of their own wife and their children or the Lord Jesus, properties and wealth or the Lord Jesus. And these people chose the Lord Jesus and they lost. And I can't stand here and talk about this without remembering a rabbi friend who came here to this museum, out here from New York, came here from New York, flew out from New York, rabbi, orthodox rabbi, and in this building, he downstairs, he prayed to receive the Lord. And when he returned home, he was told by his wife, you choose now between me and your Jesus, between our children, or let's put it real personal, your children and Jesus, between this home on Pacific Palisades Parkway in New York and, and Jesus, between the job that you have, which by the way, you're working for my father, and Jesus, between all your possessions and Jesus. That was the choice that was come to me, and I, <clears throat> it was with a broken heart <clears throat> that I tell you now. Tragically, he called me and he told me he thought he made the wrong decision, and he turned away from Jesus because the choice was just too much for him, even though I told him, I don't know how the Lord's gonna do it, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. You lose it all. You turn to Jesus. He will make it up to you. Well, these in Revelation 7, 14, they chose Jesus and they lost all those things. They suffered those losses and they loved the Lord Jesus so much that when it came to losing their possessions, they not only did it, well, okay, take that. No, it describes them in Hebrews 10, 34. In Hebrews 10, 34, where it says, for you had compassion on me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Their attitude was, take the world, but give me Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus told us that they suffered these, uh, these things. Also, they suffered being strongly tempted, especially tempted to believe deceptions of uh, what the Bible calls lying miracles, lying miracles. When it says in Matthew 24, 24, Matthew 24, 24, is very interesting, the whole chapter of Matthew 24, where the disciples sat down with the Lord and said, boy, look at the beauty of this temple, just look at this. And they said, and then he said, well, I'll tell you, every stone's gonna be thrown down. This shocked them, when, when? When is going to be the sign of your coming? So they were expecting him to say something like, well, when this happens and that happens, then you're gonna know, but you know what he said? He said something like, Oh, you want to know the sign of my coming? I'll tell you the sign of my coming is you beware that you are not deceived. He thought, that's, is that the answer? We wanted the answer. He was going to say, no, the, that is the answer. When deception is so strong, that's going to be the mark of before he comes, as he, says, as he said in Matthew 24, 24, for there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders, miracles, Great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's how powerful it's gonna be. That's why he said, what's gonna be the sign of your coming? 
you be careful that you're not deceived. Beware lest you also be deceived. The persecution was also just a continual trouble. It was a continual trouble for believers. Like it says in Daniel 7.21, Daniel 7.21, I beheld the same horn made war with the saints, war with the saints, and prevailed against them. In Revelation 13.7, Revelation 13.7, it speaks of this war with the saints. It was given unto him, the devil, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. But all this had one goal of this war with the saints. The devil was trying to wear them out, wear them out, wear them out, wear them down, wear them down. Daniel 7.25, Daniel 7.25, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. 